hello and welcome to episode 38 of what we're listening to. Uh, my name is Josh. I am one of your hosts. And with me is my good friend, uh, co-host Asher, uh, diagnosed with the first case of piano key fingernails. How are you doing, sir? Sounds disgusting. It's to a rare honest. genetic disease. <laughs> I, I have quite long fingers, uh, which are helpful for playing piano. Um, <laughs> means I can, you know, reach more than an octave, which was handy. I'm very jealous, um, actually. <laughs> Let's um, stay away from the fingernails. <laughs> I I do a have a quiz for, for you. Yes, this is a, a bit apropos, so you'll have to forgive me for it not being related to anything we're talking about. Um, That's fine. Um, so uh, you're very aware, of course, in 1966 that Bob Dylan became a bit of a pariah amongst his uh, folk community for playing electric instruments. Um, yep, yep. And at a show in Manchester, someone yelled the word Judas at him. Mm-hmm. Um, so for one point, what did he say back? And for a potential second point, or instead of the first point, what song did he play after they yelled it at him? Um, okay, I'll go for the song first. Did he play like uh, like a Rolling Stone or something? That afterwards? is correct, which is okay. surprisingly the song that caused all this travesty when it's really not that electric, but anyways. <laughs> um, is a response to what... He said, like, I don't know what he said back. Uh, what did he say back? He said, I don't believe you. Uh, okay. And then he, yelled at, then he yelled at his band to play it extra loud, and they played like a Rolling Stone super loud for some reason. <laughs> so I'll give you one point for that. There you go. Okay, thank you. Um, thank you for doing the quiz when I dumped it on you last time. <laughs> That's all right. I'll have something. Yeah, I, we swapped around, and so Josh, Josh did well. I've got, I'll have stuff for you for our next episode, which we'll talk about at the end of this one. To be honest, I, I um, always thought that that event happened at the Newport Folk Festival, not in Manchester. So I was interested to read about that, actually. Yeah, so I remember a long time ago watching I'm Still Here. Yeah. Or is that the one, the film where it's got all the different actors who play Bob Dylan, th- like Kate Blanchett and... Stuff. I think so, yeah. Christian Bale. So in that... I quite liked the way they did that scene um, where he's like, he, it shows him tuning his guitar with his back to the audience. And then he turns around and he has a gun in his hand <laughs> and like shoots out. And it's this great metaphor of like, kind of like, you know, shocking them all with an electric guitar at a folk festival. I, so it's just crazy to me. Anyway, we, we have to, people are real. I guess going. people. The first time things happen, people are like, people take a while to acclimatize. I think, I don't know, maybe, maybe people have heard more now and are cool with it, but we still get up in arms, you know, when something changes that we think is sacred. I mean, or it's true. We think is unique. I, I'd reckon that like he had the most like gradual, like the album that's considered the quote unquote electric album. It's only the first half. Mm. It's only like one side of the record. Like it's not even the whole thing. Which album is it? Oh, it's my favorite one too. Uh, check my Bob Dylan. It is bringing it all back home. Okay. Yeah, I don't know that and one. Like, we we were talking about Bob Dylan the other day. Yeah, weren't we? yeah. I, like I I love his electric stuff. The 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 mid sixties Dylan. 
and the early 60s done too but mm. i just think it's crazy i saw that i saw that video again of um you know is it like there's some guy in a mirror he's like one week after listening to bob dylan and he's you know talking with a little <laughs> bit of a a lilt <laughs> two week or one month after listening <laughs> to bob dylan and he's got a yeah yeah anyway bob dylan <laughs> don't have much more to say about him <laughs> I, I we'll mean, do an episode on one day, I guess. Yeah, yeah. We feel I mean, like it. I think when we were chatting, I was saying that I haven't really done a ton of his albums. I have a big best of three disc sort of album, and I actually preferred a lot of the early, very bare bones stuff. Um, one yeah. of my favorite songs is "My Back Pages," and I just kind of love the lack of you know, his bending of notes vocally and all that sort of thing. I just prefer it a bit more straight and rough. But, yeah, anyway. Um, do you have any uh, catch-ups from last yeah. episode? Yeah, I have a couple of random things. So last night I was talking with my in-laws about uh, Mike Bat, and okay. I was informed that Stefan Grappelli was in Hunting of the Snark. And I checked this up. So Stefan Grappelli from Django Reinhardt fame um, was playing violin on this recording, which blows my mind. This is getting too too much for me. Yeah, and I forgot to... So that was like, oh my goodness, that's an interesting tie-in. So he, yeah, he um, was alive until 1997, um, passed away when he was... 89, I think. Um, and I just thought that was interesting. I wouldn't have picked Stefan Grappelli, like a gypsy jazz violin player, <laughs> to be in this musical. So again, Mike Bat manages to get huge amounts of people in. And then I forgot to mention last week, uh, last episode, that on Zero Zero, the guitars are played by none other than Tommy Emmanuel. So that's. that's- <laughs> That's right, you told me about that. <laughs> yeah. For, for international listeners, Tommy Emmanuel is a very famous Australian guitarist. He's one of those, like, certified guitar players. I don't know who gives the certification, but <laughs> he, he um, is just a fantastic guitarist. And I have seen him live, and he's a really lovely guy when I got to meet him. Um, he was quite inspirational just in kind of the way he does everything, you know, on his guitar, like tapping yeah. and playing and it's just he's like one of those Andy McKee Andy McKee I've forgotten the name the guy who taps all over his guitar and does a lot of percussion as well as playing he's one of those yeah guys. the like the Tommy Emmanuel thing to do is to like combine two songs at once and play yes. them simultaneously on like his acoustic guitar and so when you told me that like he did the music for zero zero which is all like kind of weird ambient electric, like progressive dance stuff. I'm like, that doesn't really fit Tommy at all. <laughs> but I imagine that, you know, a gig with the ABC and some prominent musical is pretty, you know, yeah. something you'd want to do. And I, I imagine that when you're younger, before you've got your big name and you can just release albums in your own name, you got to play for musicals and other stuff like that. That's so, so funny. Yeah, I know. It's it's pretty wild. Um, I have two other random follow-up things. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I was watching um, 
a film with one with my wife, um, Brooklyn, an old film from five years ago, old. Um, and <laughs> in it, it's like it's a, it's centered around an Irish girl who travels um, to America, and there was a beautiful Irish singer in it, and it made me listen to some um, John Francis Flynn again. Ooh. And I just wanted to mention how much I really like his work, particularly that first song, Lovely Joan. Um, I was listening to that again last night, just going, oh man, this is, it's just so good. I love, and I think I love the modern twist, not just like you've got the beautiful Irish melodies and then you've got this amazing orchestration around it. It's just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and one more thing, uh, I was listening to the playlist just from last episode to, um, kind of catch up on a few of the things you put on honorable mentions sure. and I listened to war on drugs and it was a little disappointing. I can see what you mean about your dad's new favorite band. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like their producer is like quick, let's lay it on as thick as possible to make it really nostalgic for, you know, <laughs> older listeners. It just sounded like, it was trying really, really hard to be like Brian Adams or something yeah, like yeah. that. Or is it Ryan, Ryan Adams or Brian Adams? Uh, I Brian Adams. I would say... Um, Summer of 69 kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, like Mark Knopfler and the Dire Straits as well, uh, who they remind me yeah. of. It's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, he. Sorry, keep going. Oh, no, I was just going to say he sings a bit like Mark Knopfler. Yeah. I um I find it strange when um bands that are very clearly heavily inspired bring stuff back to the mainstream and sometimes they're like panned entirely and sometimes they're just accepted so like like a Greta Van Fleet I don't know if you've ever heard them um no. they're often very criticized for being like a Led Zeppelin knockoff band cuz they're very heavily inspired by Led Zeppelin and they imitate their sound okay. in some form. And people are like, ah, oh, these guys are just Led Zeppelin knockoffs. And then Warren Drugs comes out and they're like, make songs that I would consider not exactly modern sounding, but fueled by nostalgia. And everyone's like, yeah, this is great. I'm like, what? Like, why? <laughs> it's anyway. Um, marketing? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. And people are just ready for some things and not others, I guess. I just find it funny. Um mm. War on drugs. Anyway. All right. That's all me. Yeah. Uh, Did you have anything? Uh, not particularly. I um, I was reading the news yesterday and learned that the death of Stephen Sondheim uh, happened recently, um, which I thought mm. was a bit interesting as we just released our musical episode that we did not talk about him. He was a very influential figure um, of the musical scene period. Um yeah. yeah. I, I mean I've played uh West Side Story in high school. Um I've never seen Sweeney Todd or um Into the Woods or anything like that, but I know they're famous. Into the Into the Woods is pretty amazing. It's um it's a very interesting musical with the two halves, you know, the fairy tale at the start and then the fairy tale gone twisted at the end. Um musically, yeah, I prefer West Side Story, I think, than Into the Woods. Um, but um, they're both fantastic. I don't know a lot of his other stuff, to be honest. 
Um, but I, yeah, incredible. Um, I, yeah, I only just saw some quick news on this too. It's pretty sad. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, that's all I have. Yeah, that's cool. Shall we move on to reviews? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Yes, so um, I must put a disclaimer in this episode that I am kind of cheating. Um, she, uh, in the week that week that we decided to rec- uh, pick stuff for this one, um, three albums came out that I all wanted to review. <laughs> so I gave one to Asher for his homework, and then I'm going to review two. <laughs> oh, are you talking about idols as well? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, very quickly. That's fine. Um, yeah, so the first uh, album I'll talk about a bit quicker because it's less important. It's cool. Um, um, the fourth record from our favorite Bristolian uh, post-punk psychiatric help band, Idols. Um, I mean, it feels like they're just pumping out stuff, which is kind of nice. Hmm. Um, uh, so... Uh, I really appreciate this album in some regard that it uh, is a bit of an exploration record from them. Mm. Um, There's a number of sounds and uh, singing styles uh, that don't exist in the rest of their kind of platform. So they're trying new stuff, which I really appreciate. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think maybe uh, as I've listened to it more, um, this and their last record both suffer from a bit of um i don't know uh lack of time um because i think my criticisms for both these records are kind of both of their problems like uh the the last record ultra mono is very kind of one note one level of intensity which is an intense level Mm. um but it doesn't really differentiate that much and then this album um has these interesting moments but some of the punchier songs lack that kind of oomph that um, their older stuff has. And mm. so like, I know that like when you make a record, you are in a particular artistic time and these don't have the same themes behind them. Mm. Um, but I think musically, if you could combine these two records, it would be, they would benefit from each other. I think. Crawler. Yeah. Um, I should mm. say crawlers theme of the record. Yeah. Um, uh, but ultimately, I think I, I think I still enjoy Crawler more just because they're trying stuff, which I really appreciate mm-hmm. from a fourth record. Um, so I'll probably come back to this one a little more. Um, but I think, yeah, they kind of to put out two albums in two years. Uh, I think I think they need to take their time a little bit and maybe maybe condense some of their ideas a little bit. I was very surprised when they dropped this. I was kind of <laughs> yeah. was like, oh my goodness. Like, again, it was only last year that I remember listening to Ultra Mono. So I only got through half of it um, just because I just was a bit busy. Um, but my, I was so surprised by this first song being so hidden and kind of like quiet. Mm. And it's just interesting to have not have idols kind of hit you in the face right from the beginning. Um, yeah. I guess well, that's exactly what they were going for, a bit of a difference. But, um, yeah, yeah, I found, yeah, it found it kind of like back and forth, like you're kind of not quite sure where you're at, but I will listen to it a little bit more over the coming weeks um, 
and then kind of have a little bit more of a perspective on it. But <laughs> yeah, I did miss the bangers though. Like, <laughs> yeah, I missed, I missed like really, really intense songs. I went for a jog and listened to this. I usually go jogging whenever I listen to idols. Um, uh, and so, or I li- always listen to idols whenever I'm jogging kind of thing. Cause they're, yeah. they're really kind of driving and punching. Um, but it wasn't what I expected. So that's okay. This is less, this is less of a jog record. I'd, I'd say that's very fair. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I'll probably listen to it a bit more when it's not raining and junk. Um, but I think it's an interesting record at least. So, so next June. Um, yeah. Next, uh, next August. So, um, probably the album I listen to more, the one I want to talk about a little bit more, um, mm. is the debut album from a multi-genre, multi-instrumentalist from Los Angeles. Um, his name is Dijon, like the mustard or the Aryan Frank. Like the mustard. Um, and he's put on his first record called Absolutely. Um, so I came across a YouTube video uh, of him and his band playing together uh, a couple songs from the record. And I really enjoyed those in this like kind of pseudo live setting um, mm. where they have like a set, but you can like also see the background where like things are being filmed and like, it's kind of like a falsehood. Um, and yeah, I've just loved this record. The kind of vibe that you get of it being a, like a post show hangout show kind of like the guys are like mm. super tired and the vocals are kind of at the end of their rope. Um, but the jam session kind of happens together and it like fits really well. So, um, this has so many, um, eccentric influences on it that it just, it's perfect for me. Like I love all the different pieces that are fitting together and are like breaking the rules, obviously of a lot of them. Um, but there's like mm. bits of hip hop, there's bits of country and soul, like Americana seventies, mm. R and B some jazz, and there's like modern indie production like Bon Iver. It's like all this stuff. And it's just kind of put together, I think, so well. Because um, it doesn't contradict, but rather um, like mixes together to make something more interesting. And then hmm. on top of all that, you have the vocal performance, which I find to be really endearing. Like some of the later songs on the record. Um He's like, it's it's really a struggle for him to, like, sing these impassionate songs properly, um, hmm. like Annie or Noah's Highlight Reel or Rodeo Clown, but like really, I don't know, yeah, like he just he just sounds like he's really trying, which is a great thing to me. Um, Rodeo Clown stood out to me actually. With I've got a lot of passion in that vocal delivery. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's great. Um, it. So can I just clarify? Go for it. Is this actually recorded in kind of like a um, non-studio setting? Is that what you were saying? No, I don't think so. But that's definitely like the vibe it gives off, especially with the videos on YouTube. Um, I think the YouTube videos are a partially live performance, but they're different from the album versions. Right. Because it feels like at the start of the album – He's not quite at the mic, like he's back from the mic and it's all a little bit scrappy and stuff. And I'm like, so am I listening to, you know, a live album recording or am I listening to a very intentional sort of um, aesthetic for this one? Yeah. But I think it's the latter. Yeah, I think it's the latter too. Um, 
Yeah. And I know some, some of these elements might not necessarily be in your wheelhouse, but did you, what did you think about it as you're like? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I struggled to kind of, um, I struggled to kind of connect with it um, because I'm not well adversed in some of these genres, like kind of like hip hop sort of ballads and stuff like the dress there. I connected more with what you call the like Bonnie Ver elements. Like mm. it felt a bit like I comma I um, kind of scrappy samples, this sort of thing. I did like the kind of aesthetic of it, but I don't think it really connected with me. I, I listened to it a few times to try and get into it. <laughs> and I was just like, Oh, it's cool, but it's just not connecting with me on maybe the level. It did for yeah. You. It's interesting though. I'd be interested more to check out these videos online um, of him yeah, playing. Yeah, I, I, I recommend them. They're, they're really interesting. And yeah, so I think he's opening for Bonnie Vera first half of the North America tour. And I think he's coming to Vancouver even, so I might go see him. Yeah, sweet. Um, the energy, I, yeah, it's pretty palpable. And um, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like a lot of the time, we're going to talk about Bonnie Vera for a little bit. Like, mm. his, uh, Bonnie Vera's ideas are kind of half-baked. Um, in terms of like, he wants to try all this weird production stuff, but doesn't really know where to take it. And so I think he suffers from a bit of overuse. Hmm. And so I like it more when the production kind of serves the song idea, which is more the case on this Dijon album where, um, it's not saturated, but little, little pieces that keep you interested. Hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, like he's, I, yeah, Bon Iver, when you listen to For Emma, um, there are parts when you feel like, oh, it's like half a song. Um, yeah. But that album is really good and really endearing. And, and I, I still do really love it a lot, even though there are some songs like Creature Fear and stuff, which just don't really gel with me. Um, yeah, I think I get what you mean about Dijon finishing the idea or putting it in context a little bit better. So, <laughs> which is kind of ironic because some of his songs end with like completely unfinished things. I did notice that he's just talking in the background and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Or there's like it just cuts like a minute in. And you're like, oh, um, hmm. I think I mean it's on purpose. Uh, it's clever. Yeah, so I don't know. I've I've really really enjoyed this album, um, especially as a debut project. I think Dijon mm. um, looks to be a very interesting person to watch in the future. Um, I haven't even seen his face because he's got his cap over his face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah, Dijon, absolutely. It's really great. Sweet. Um, how about yourself, sir? What have you been listening to? Uh, something very different than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been listening to an album called One Bit Symphony by Tristan Perrick. Um, and this is something that I, I say to people, I take a long time to get there with albums, but I eventually get there. And I remember <laughs> hearing about this album in 2012. Um, so this is a bit of an experiment more than it is a musical kind of well it is an art piece but yeah so Tristan Perrick um wanted to see whether he could make something as complex as a symphony with something as simple as only one bit sounds and so as opposed to like eight bit 
um, one bit is, as it sounds, there's only one type of sound used. And it's just an electrical impulse. And that's about where my knowledge of this stops. As far <laughs> as I understand, it's just on-off sounds at different pitches. Um, and there's a lot more that goes into how this is kind of created. And he has a book called 0.01, which kind of maps out all the uh, the kind of computational things behind the scenes that happen mm. in the first one one hundredth of a second of this symphony, which kind of blows my mind. It fills a 700-page book. <laughs> um, but the thing that also interested me about this this album, and this has been done with a few other artists since, is that when you buy this physically, you get um, a little jewel case, CD case, and it has the electronics that generate the symphony. So it's almost like you are listening to it being performed live in your ears because you're not listening to a recording of the the computer, like the chip generating these one-bit sounds. You're actually listening to it generating them in real time. So you plug your headphones into the jack built into the CD case and you turn it on and you listen to the whole symphony, all five movements, until the end. So... Um, I thought that was pretty cool and I would like to get it at some point, but I have not got it yet. Um, so when you listen to this, it's quite harsh at first because it's, it's all like, there's no kind of, um, bottom end to it because when you bring these sounds too low, they get more and more distorted. And when they get high, they get more and more distorted. So a lot of the sounds kind of stick in this mid range and there's not a lot of like balance to the mix. However, I didn't get really, I didn't get bored. I've listened to it through a bunch of times now. And so there are five movements. And as you said, as I said, like it says symphony, he was looking to explore the symphonic form. It's been a while since I've analyzed, you know, like expositions and denouements and recapitulations and that sort of thing. Mm. So I didn't, I didn't go into detail about, uh, is it actually following the symphonic form? Um, because I feel like it's really hard to follow the symphonic form with a one-bit sound that has no sustain. Because this this album like has no melodies in it. It's it's hard to have like a melody solo by itself because it just doesn't sustain. And it's you know unless you write very fugal like very complicated melodies, it's not going to stand out. So you get these more repetitive ostinatos all the way through as opposed to a melody um i think the first three movements are my favorite towards the end um it it just kind of doesn't hold my interest and then the last track has this like sustained chord which must go for about six minutes i don't quite understand <laughs> why it does that but there you go um <laughs> i like uh, I'll, uh, sorry i'll say one more thing i really like the distortion on this, the one bit sounds as it gets like higher. Um, I think that, I don't know if he's doing any post-production, but there's some parts where he has like some very close harmonies, like seconds, and they're kind of great. And I just think it's really cool. So it's a very much a modern symphony. I mean, obviously, because it's using one bit sounds, but compositionally, it's quite modern as well. Um, did you have anything you thought about it? Did you give it a full listen? Uh, yeah. I mean, um, as you said, more of a performance piece or like a composition piece. Um, 
Hmm. Yeah, I did find the tonality quite hard to listen to sometimes. Um, yeah. Which is just the nature of the thing. Um, yeah, I think ultimately I uh, I appreciate the um, the impetus behind the project less than obviously the guy who's doing it. I don't particularly find the idea of mathematics and um rules and regulations when it comes to music to be the most interesting part about it like the the idea mm. of uh coding out music um and theorizing it i don't know that kind of um yeah. i disconnect with that a little bit i i find trackers so trackers are like how you write a lot of 8-bit music so yeah. boring because every time basically every note you need to tell the computer what midi channel um what octave what note what like how long how much sustain how much attack and you have to do that for every single note in every part i'm just like Whoa. yeah and so it's interesting that you get these like this this mini symphony and um mm. normally with like a classical symphony there's a lot of meaning behind it like you know uh, Vivaldi's yeah. The Seasons and you're like oh these are this is spring and here you kind of have like one two three four five and the meaning is in the project rather than in the music and um, hmm. yeah I don't know like I found like when I, like I listened to it and like okay this is like music but it didn't like emote anything to me as much because I didn't know what it was supposed to, what it was supposed no, to be showing yeah. other than just the fact that it exists which is interesting um yeah that's very true because you get you listen to like Dvorak's New World Symphony yeah. right and as he's you know as he's seeing you know the like America for the first time and he's kind of the Largo starts it's kind of this emotive I'm seeing a new land and this sort of thing um whereas this is like you're given no context about what the actual music is about you're only given context about how it's created yeah. which which is um by and large, fascinating and very different. I will, I will, I will give mm, it that yeah. in spades. Um, so yeah, I, I went through it a couple of times. Um, I probably couldn't pick out like movements to you, um, but the the first one mm. was interesting when it started playing with like rhythms and like stops. I thought like, is my computer breaking or are the rhythms playing funky yeah. business with each other? And so it was kind of interesting to listen to. Yeah, I checked my headphones too. I was like, are they normal or my my um my headphones low on battery? <laughs> Mission accomplished, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, I don't have much more to say on it. It's just been on my list for a long time of something interesting and I hadn't given a full listen. So Yeah. Yeah, it's clever. I recommend listening to it. Just a That's little experiment. Um uh, homework time then. Homework time. So I've been, I've had this on my list for a little bit of time. It's just a, a really good EP that I wanted Josh to hear. Um, so this is a band called Tired All The Time. And it, it's a little EP, uh, longer than, maybe a bit longer than an EP, like a small album entitled Be Well. And they're kind of like a punkish sort of, um, post-punkish sort of band. <laughs> Uh, from the states and they're on a label called flag day recordings for this particular um release 
And I just was drawn to this a little bit. Um, I enjoyed it a few years ago and then I thought maybe Josh would as well. So what did you think of Be Well by Tired All The Time? Uh, yeah. Uh, you also gave, you also said if I have time to go through their other, uh, EP as well, oh, which, yeah. which I did a little bit of, um, cool. Yeah. I mean, uh, firstly, I love the name. The, these guys, um, have this kind of like, uh, fake pharmaceutical vibe going. Um, mm-hmm. like if you buy the physical version of this, uh, Be Well record, you get a bottle of like M&Ms that have been colored to look like pills, um, mm. which they now tell you not to eat because they're from like three years ago. Um, <laughs> but it's kind of like that kind of vibe. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed this kind of scrappy, um, noisy, alternative punk records. It's really stuff that I enjoy. Um, obviously, the, the first song, Bone Dry, is like a huge standout. Um, Mm. that's yeah something about that song is um both well written and well performed compared to some of their other tracks on this stuff and yeah that that's going in like the the save for later playlist it's really it's really a fun song um yeah i keep coming back to that one yeah like it just comes to my mind every now and then and you said you might have played it on radio one time like like it it um, it's in my memory banks of like, maybe we played it on college radio when I worked there. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's in there and the music video is also hilarious, which is, um, yeah, it, it, I don't know. It's a very DIY music video. Um, and so you, it's like, is this stock footage? It's not, which kind of makes it funnier because it looks so much like stock footage. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I really enjoy these. I I don't have a ton of critique for them. Um, you hmm. know, it's some some of the performances are like a bit messy, and the production's not great. The um, the older record um, called "Please Stop" is definitely um, less well put together than the one you gave me, the "Be Well" um, EP. Hmm. Um, but there's still some great songs on the old record too. Um, I think. Um, yeah, I think as they put together the newer one, they improved their vocal performances a bit, which is great. And then hmm. um, they were less afraid of using some of the more classical post-punk sounds. Um, like some of the songs in this record sound like a Joy Division song to me. Um, I wondered whether you would say that. Yeah, yeah. like they have like the the reverby drums and like the distant guitar and um the low voice the low voice like that those are all like cult like yeah not to say that you can't yeah. do things like somebody else but they're very those are very joy division markers <laughs> um yeah yeah i particularly liked the like group vocals for bone dry i think yeah. that's one of the things that also attracted me to it was that it was more than one guy singing and it's this kind of it felt like when you watch the music video and when you listen to it, it feels like this chorus of voices all, you know, kind of not screaming their discontent content, but just like, it's like a very tired sort of sound, you know, (laughs) I've got nothing. My, you know, my whole life is like a whole kind of thing. It's a very very sad sort of ironic that the album's called be well. I mean, it, it, it turns it from, like, one person complaining to being, like, a, 
a group oeuvre or feeling, um, which I think yeah. makes it more interesting, certainly. Yeah, definitely. Um, I do agree that the production has increased on Be Well from Please Stop. I was listening to Please Stop as well, and I think some of the drums are just a bit, they're programmed. I think the ones on Be Well are live. It just sounds a lot better to me. Yeah, it does. It does sound better. Well, yeah. Mm. Anyway, yeah, I, I've, I enjoyed those. Thank you for giving them to me. No worries. I also wanted to do a shout out to their label, um, so Flag Day Recordings, <laughs> run by a friend of mine, um, Billy Pizarro. Um, he releases a lot of really interesting music through Flag Day. This is a bit of a standout, and he says it in the show notes that um, a lot of the music they usually release is like um, noise, harsh noise, the kind of like ambient stuff. But there, have, I have found a lot of great artists on Flag Day, like Benjamin Malk, as well as, um, you know, Tide All The Time and Andrew Tasselmeyer and all these fantastic artists. So I'm going to chuck um, their, their um, <laughs> link to their band camp in the show notes. And I recommend checking them out because you might find some absolute gold tell, there. Uh, tell me, Asher, who else is signed to Flag Day Record? <laughs> I mean, I, I will. Yes, full disclosure, I have two albums out on Flag Day as well. <laughs> you can take those or leave those. Um, it's more that I just have appreciated uh, the way Billy works and the way he kind of um, has just so many different people and artists and things on there. So check it out. Uh, you're so cynical, Joshua. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. If um, I wanted to plug my own album, I'd say buy my own album. Yeah, but you just did. Um, Even at Niaj. Um, okay. Uh, so this week I, um, gave Asher the second album, um, from sometimes Blur member, sometimes Gorilla member, Damon Albarn. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, Damon, uh, has a lot of musical projects at his fingertips and, you would kind of think like, oh, why does this man need to make a solo record? And mm. I genuinely find these more interesting a lot of the time because they allow him to operate in a musical sphere that doesn't necessarily need to be popular. Um, I know that mm. sounds kind of weird, but um, for a guy who's had so many hits across so many genres, um, he like he gets to explore a bit of different sonic stuff and a lot of people don't listen to these records as much um but i really enjoy them um because they have the kind of like odd more um ambient more kind of grown-up instrumentation and rhythms and um it's not it's not a pop machine for sure um so he wrote this album yeah, yeah definitely while staying on iceland for a little while so you kind of get you kind of get the impression of it being like cold and gray when you listen to it. <laughs> um, so, what did you think? What's it called? Near the fountain, the pure of the stream. Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's the title track as well. Yeah, it's a long, um, it's a long name. <laughs> that makes sense of the album artwork, which looks like a piece of volcanic rock. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, I didn't know he was um, writing this on Iceland, but uh, that makes sense. So I quite like this album and I wasn't expecting to. Um, <laughs> not because I don't like Blur or the Gorillas. I just don't, you know, listen to them that much. Um, but 
I liked it because it was quite avant-garde with its orchestrations and instrumentations mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. But then also bringing in some very like um, beautiful songwriting with a very un unbeautiful voice. Um, like Damon's voice is very interesting. He, the falsetto on the opening track is quite beautiful. So he has these moments of beauty. And then he has a very ordinary sort of <laughs> English sounding voice. Yeah. That just kind of like wafts over the top of the songs or even just like trots and speaks. It's like it's not particularly like he's trying to give us his best take. It feels like he's just kind of going, here's my song, you know, enjoy it or don't. Mm. And I kind of like that. I really, and I, that's one part of Gorillaz that I really enjoy is how ordinary his voice sounds. You know, since Clint Eastwood drops, I've always enjoyed that kind of <laughs> mumbly sort of sound, um, but never quite gotten into full Gorillaz releases. Um, so this album strikes me as a bit kitsch. Like you've got the bossa beats with like the spring reverb organ, yeah. sort of Lowry organ sound. Um, I like that. And some of the, some of the sounds also remind me of Chris Schlab who wrote the Dropsy, um, soundtrack. Um, it just felt a little bit surf as well. I don't know how to explain this with the <laughs> guitars, but it's this main, these organ sorts of beats. It's like, it's like we're in some sort of demented karaoke sort of thing. <laughs> and then there's like these avant-garde sort of swirling synth sounds with strings and this sort of thing. And then you arrive at this song. I'm thinking particularly of, um, I think it's, yeah, I think it's more um, Royal Mountain Blue, Royal Morning Blue that has this kind of sudden change from this really, this, this, uh, like discordant introduction to something quite structured. Yeah. And I like that. Um, Daft Waiter is so beautiful and it feels very elbow to me. That's just my reading of it. Like his voice sounds a bit Guy Garvey at that point. It might be the English um, influence, but I just love it. I have to just have a segue. Um, (laughs) I texted you and said, this reminds me of uh, Barry Morgan (laughs) and his world of organs. For those listeners, that's a, that's a very niche Australian reference, by the way. For, some, for those who don't know, he speaks and specs. Um, Barry Morgan was on there one time, or maybe a few times, and he's just an he's an organ player with a big, big cheesy smile and um, lots of rings on his fingers. Kind of looks like a used car salesman who also likes to play <laughs> organs, and he plays like famous songs sometimes on like big kind of electric organs, not the like pipe organs, but the, you know, the ones with all the like banjo sounds and stuff. So anyway, yeah, I'll yeah. put a link in the show. Super 70s Yamaha. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I actually... Also worth noting, mm-hmm. um, sorry, Spix and Specs is a, a Australian music quiz show and a BG song that's named after. Yeah, yeah, that's that. right. Just in case no one knows what that sorry, is. Sorry, there's several layers of things here. And it, it all... <laughs> I quite like these kinds of organs when they're used in this sense. It's like it's the same way that Gautier used that Lowry organ to talk about that song um, State of the Art and he talks about just how these organs were kind of marketed as, um, you know, the end of kind of needing multiple instruments in your home. You could just have one and it does all these different things. So anyway, I don't know Mm. if it's 
use that deeply in this album, but it did stand out to me. So, yeah, I just really liked, I liked this album. It wasn't, it wasn't overly long. It felt quite short and um, didn't feel yeah. like there were a ton of specific songs on it. I just really loved the opener, Royal Mountain Blue and Daft Wonder. I thought those were really standouts to me though. What did you think? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've listened to his first solo record a ton. I really enjoyed that. Um, mm. And it's it's a, a similarly gray record. It's called Everyday Robots, and it's kind of about, like, technology and depression um, mm. um, compared to this one, which is more about, like, nature and uh, and grayness. So it's, it's interesting because I, as a um, long-term damon musical listener i can i can spot like some of this stuff other places in his music like there are to me some gorilla songs that come to mind about like that have similar kind of like whirly organs Mm. or um more diverse musical influences um and there's actually a ton of them on the first girls record where it's more kind of like um bossa nova reggae there's a ton of that kind of stuff on it yeah yeah um so this is like very much in Damon's wheelhouse, but I think it's only on these solo records that he gets to kind of do weirder stuff um, that ties together. So I I noticed a lot of um, on this record, there's kind of like a big, um, more avant-garde, as you say, um, musical sections that then are brought together with um, more defined, interesting songs mm. um, like like Daft Waiter or darkness to light or Polaris It's kind of these like moments of clarity yeah. and musicality. And I think that was really interesting where, it, yeah, like you're right. It kind of feels like a whole thing rather than individual songs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like a big one soundtrack with that's broken up a little bit. Yeah. And that's also helped by the fact that the last song has a number of elements from the first song in it, including words mm. and melodies. So it's kind of like this big kind of loop. Bit of a concept in some ways. Um, yeah. Um yeah, I, mean, I really enjoyed it. I think I'll I think I need a little more time to like tie it down, but so far I've enjoyed listening to it a bunch, yeah. Yeah. Um, me too. Damon. He's an interesting guy, I think. Yeah, I remember being stunned when I realized that the guy in Gorillas was the guy in Blur. Like they just didn't <laughs> seem to be the same person to me. But um it's it's very uh, yeah we should do a bit more on gorillas you need to give me like demon days or something like just, that one time i just don't want to be hurt you know like i've i love the record so much and... dude i don't want to have to give a dissertation in defense of it you know <laughs> yeah well maybe you should just do a we should do like a nostalgia review and review something that we have always loved and know we will love <laughs> No well, mean then, things are allowed to be said. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No critique allowed. Pure praise. Uh, okay. Well, then, cool. honorable mentions time. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Um, I only have a couple since I have tried to limit the amount of cheeky reviews that I've done. Um, <laughs> um, so first is a new song from Indian Run. Um, oh, yeah. And Muso that you reviewed a number of episodes ago. Um, mm-hmm. uh, firstly, I've actually been going through that record. Um, I don't know what happens next, 
a ton. I've been really enjoying it recently. Um, yeah, it's great. I just kind of put it on every so often when and I'm not listening to anything in particular and I'm just really enjoying it. Um, and so he's put out a new track on Spotify, which I've been listening to, which is really nice. Um, yeah, it's a duo with um, the Paper Kites or something. Yeah, and it's got a little more um, uh, analog acoustic production to it, which is interesting. Um, yeah. Not just kind of his own beats. Um, second, um, the album from um, Andrew Rose Gregory has come out from Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been listening to a little bit of that. I haven't listened to it a ton, but I've gone through it once or twice. Um, as we've said, I really enjoy um, Andrew's music. I think he kind of writes lyrics that are similar to like Paul Simon, kind of wordy um, mm. and, and playful. But actually, musically, he's more like um, the band or um, like 70s solo Paul McCartney, if that makes any sense to you. Um, um, I haven't <laughs> listened to a lot of that year of Paul. Sorry, yeah, but that's fine. I think I can get what you're saying. One day you should listen to Ram. It's a good album. Um, I so uh, there's a couple of really good songs. Um, I think obviously the first one, the with no hands one, is a bit of a standout. Um, mm. Watch them fly, which is a great song. And then I was listening to this, and it came across a, set, a track called "Hello Again." And it, uh, I tweaked a really old memory in me, um, as I'm like, I've I've been a subscriber to their YouTube channel since like the Bedroom Intruder song came out, um, nice, which is a long time ago. And I've actually like been a fairly, I don't know, I've listened to a number of their original songs, I think, unlike a lot of people, and I I realized that this song on this album is actually one of their really old ones from like 2011, um, which I'd heard a bunch. And so it's kind of nice to have like an actual recorded version of it rather than like a YouTube video. Um, and You sent me the, the link. It's the hello again. Michael puts the babies to bed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm curious. So I, I know that um, Mr. Gregory plays a lot of um, tenor guitar, like four string guitar. Um, Hmm. and I'm wondering how many of these songs are written in that kind of mode as opposed to regular guitar. Um, anyway, that's just me being curious. That's cool. Uh, I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but I'm, I'm keen to give it a whirl. So chuck some good songs on the playlist and I'll, I'll give it. It's nice. Some of them are a little too romantic for me. Um, because they're about his okay. about his wife and that kind of stuff, and I don't know. I feel like it's a bit awkward for me to listen to sometimes. Um, I feel like I'm intruding in like a private conversation. Um, sometimes people can overshare, <laughs> but who knows? <laughs> and then lastly, um, is the release of Kid Amnesia. So, mm-hmm. um, the 20th anniversary of Kid A and Amnesiac have come and gone. Um and radio have released this kind of middle project, um, <clears throat> which I've gone through a couple times. Um, it's, uh, interesting. I wouldn't call it a full album. There's a number of unfinished ideas on here. Um, but there's a couple songs that I found very interesting, particularly fog. I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, uh, pulk slash pull true love weights kind of mashup version. um, I found that really interesting because um, you listen to the original song, Pulk Pull Amnesiac, 
and it's like a non-lyrical kind of, um, I don't know, like sonically abusive kind of like uh, track. And then you, um, if you put these lyrics, True Love Waits underneath it, it kind of transforms the whole song to something completely different. And it works surprisingly well, which I was really surprised by. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't have a ton of to say, but I think a lot of the ideas on this kind of were interesting. I could see why they weren't on Kid A or Amnesiac. It's ironic that you're like, it's uh, not really an album and it's two hours and five minutes long. <laughs> um, so I don't know Amnesiac well enough to be able to tell what is new material and what isn't. Sure. Um, but I have been listening to a couple of songs. I more started, I just wanted to hear Pyramid Song again. I really love that. Yeah. Um, and then it kind of went on to the Pulk Pull Revolving Doors, the original, which um, was quite interesting. And then You and Who's Army. And I think I just, I need to have a bit more context for this um, because, yeah, I just, I'm like, I already don't know Amnesia very well. And so <laughs> when they're mashing up and referencing a whole bunch of other songs that I don't know, I'm just feeling yeah, yeah, yeah. like I, I, it's wasted on me. But it- I will still have a listen. It's a very particular thing. Um, I also found it interesting. So there's two kind of full songs. Um, like if you say the word and follow me around. Um, mm. And um, when I listened to them for the first time, I thought these are interesting because they're kind of trying to interplay the idea of like Tom's acoustic uh, guitar with like the weird production of Kid A and the music, like the kind of robotic stuff. And they don't quite work. Right, that's cool. Um, uh, which is why they're not, they'd probably never finished to put on the record. Um, yeah. But as I was looking on Twitter when this came out, um, a lot of the guys from the band Gomez, which we reviewed earlier this year, yeah, um, yeah. they were talking about it because um, it's to them, it sounds like a Gomez song, especially Follow Me Around. Um, where it has like the multi-track uh, robotic vocals over an acoustic guitar. Like that's kind of their jam in the mid two thousands. And so they're kind of like, it's really funny that they like, while we were being influenced by them, maybe they were like listening to some of our stuff and taking pieces of it as well. Mm. So I just thought that was really interesting. Um, that is neat. Gomez esque. Anyway, that's all that I have. How about you, sir? Yeah, I have. I have written down in my notes a question that maybe is too big for right now. But as I was listening to Kid Amnesia, or Kid Amnesia, I can't, anyway. (laughs) I was just wondering to myself, I'm like, why does Josh like Radiohead? Because sometimes they just seem to me to be like a band that I would like more than a band that you would like. (laughs) Because they're so arty and all over the shop sometimes is it because you've been on the journey the whole time that you're not put off when they're like just releasing stuff, which is half there or, you know, I'm trying to understand inside the mind of Josh or short. <laughs> and, you know, did you want to talk about that now? Or do you want to save that? For uh, time? I mean, I can talk about it very briefly. Um, you can also think about it and chat about it and follow up next episode. If you I, no, I got a handle on it. I, um, I definitely, cool. Um, didn't appreciate Kid A or Amnesiac when I was first starting to be a Radiohead fan. 
Um, the mm. album that came out when I started being a fan was Hail to the Thief. And I remember my brother buying yeah. that and me stealing that from him and listening to it on, on a CD player um, while at school. And um, because that album is much more of a return to them uh, using real instrumentation, um, I I connected to it a little bit easier. And so I think from there, things like the Benz and OK Computer um, weren't that much of a stretch. Um, yeah. And so it wasn't until I heard Idiotech um, for the first time that I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And somebody told mm-hmm. me that that was off of Kid A. I was like, okay, fine. I'll go listen to it. Um, and so, I, yeah, I still don't love all of uh, Music or Kid A. Um, I know it's heresy. Mm-hmm. I don't particularly like everything in its right place. I think it's... Um, and it's a good introduction. You're getting your Radiohead library card revoked now. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of hard to explain. I think um, it helped that I was like a pretty, I was like a decent fan. Um, mm. And then uh, by the time I was like in my twenties, uh, they put out uh, "In Rainbows," which is far and away one of their best albums, and um approachable i don't know i think in rainbows is a genius piece of music and so that kind of like propelled me from being like oh these guys are interesting i listen to them sometimes too oh these guys are really great and i want to devour everything that they do and then go see them for the first time um with all this in my head and like whenever they toured vancouver 2008 2009 whatever it was um yeah yeah no, that's that's good. That's helpful, and that makes sense because that you don't necessarily love Kid A and Amnesiac. Um, interestingly, it was Idiotech that got me into Kid A, and Kid A that got me into Radiohead. Which, yeah, which is why I kind of like was wondering. It's just not really your thing, <laughs> and it, it, I'm confirmed. It really isn't totally your thing. Yeah, um, you love the bigger body of work and that sort of thing, whereas. I'm not really into Hails of the Thief as much. I love In Rainbows, but it was just, yeah, I was just listening to Amnes- Kid Amnesiac. I can't even say this album <laughs> name. I, I do love Kid A now, um, especially some parts of it. I love the title track. Kid A, I think, is beautiful. Um, and then the, the last motion picture soundtrack, I think, is one of their best mm-hmm. songs ever made. Um but yeah, I, mean, I don't instantly love everything Radiohead does. I still don't love Moonshade Pool that much. Um, mm. I I think it's boring. Whatever you saying that um, compared to a lot of their other music, um, which I know is heretical. The as opening, well. the first the first bit of the album is pretty amazing, but from there it gets a bit forgettable. Yeah, I mean, every time I listen to it and Burn the Witch comes on, I get so excited because Burn the Witch is so great. And yeah. everything that I would like from a later release Radiohead album where they have like the strings from Johnny are like being really creatively used and it's this kind of like high energy, interesting thing. And then it just kind of peters out because none of the album is like that again. It's all kind of gray and Tom's really depressed. I'm like, I don't know. 
We could talk about which pool. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Thanks for that. I just wanted as a side note, I had it written down somewhere in this show. I was like, I just got to ask you this question because sometimes I'm just confused. But uh, that clarifies. So thank you. <laughs> Shall right. I just mention my honorables and then uh, then we can close it out? Yeah, go for it. So a few quick ones. I've had a weird national bend and just like been listening to a heap of the national. Um, I think because it's been really cold and wet here. Um, and so it matches. And I was just heading out to the bus the other day and kind of pressed play on my headphones, but didn't get the podcast I was listening to. And I got Ryland instead. (laughs) Um, and I was like, ah, I do love the drums on this song. And so I listened to their latest one again, which you don't love as much. Yeah. And there are, there are elements in which I think this is a fantastic album, but you're right in that it has a bit, it's a bit too slow. But then I was going back and listening to just a bunch of favourites from others. And um, I re-listened to Sleep Well Beast and it really is a bit sad. Like there are some potential great songs on this, but it just felt like a bit of a a ballad album and just a bit bit slow. And I think it has even less drums than um, I'm Easy to Find. You are correct. I think there is. Yeah, which, yeah. I feel like you could have combined I'm Easy to Find and Sleep Well Beast and had like a a really good selection of songs because there's some really good ones on both of those. And if you just kind of cut out the others, you can get something really tight. (laughs) uh, now you have been sending me and I've been now paying more attention to who's the guy who does Blink-182 covers and does songs in the vein of Blink-182, Alex Melton, is it? Yeah. Yeah. So Josh, to cheer me up, sent me, uh, Alex Melton being like, here are my top five moments from Take Off Your Pants and Jacket by Blink-182. <laughs> And I was just like, this is so good. And he just plays just the instrumental parts of certain parts of the songs. And it just made me really appreciate the musicality behind some of their music. And I really have loved watching Alex and, you know, doing songs in the genre of Blink-182, you know, <laughs> listening to um, A Thousand Miles in the vein of Blink-182. It's, it's just really, he does such a great job. And you said he's, gotten even better at drums lately and it shows yeah. so yeah i really appreciate his work he's a great singer and a fantastic instrumentalist and just manages to capture a sound perfectly so i've been really appreciating that so thank you um and one last one this is a rosie thomas new song so rosie thomas i've talked about before she is a friend of asthmatic kitty um and she's uh, written this new album called Lullabies for Parents, and she has a song out called It'll Be Alright. And it's very it's very beautiful. It actually has Sufjan's drummer, I believe, on it. Um, uh, what's his name? McAllister. Um, forgotten his first name, but he's a part of this one, so I've really appreciated that. And, uh, yeah, check it out. I'll put it on the playlist. Well, thank you for listening to episode 38 of what we're listening to. We hope that you've found some interesting uh, things. And please, as always, send us interesting things as well. We are always open to listening to different stuff. Um, Next episode is a special one. 
we have our Christmas episode, uh, <laughs> the one that Asher is most excited about, but Josh is meh on. So, you know, expect a lot of uh, a, a lot of excited sounds from me. Um, that will be coming out next, you know, in three weeks' time. Um, and then we also have a bonus episode coming out in the new year, which we did for the first time last year, and we're doing again this year. This is our going to be our top five of 2021. And I know that we both have very well. Josh has a very long short list of top five <laughs> albums, and I also have been kind of combining compiling a list all year, and it's going to be a tricky one. So there's there's a lot of great music on there. Um, Please check us out on, you know, all the places you listen to podcasts, you know, Spotify and Overcast and Apple Podcasts and all that sort of thing. Um, follow us on socials, on Twitter and Instagram and maybe on Facebook. And, um, yeah, we'll see you next time. See you, Josh. See you, mate.